Welcome in another edition of the Fighting Irish Wired podcast, the podcast that was spent all night trying to determine a name and get creative with that part of the Fighting Irish Wire website, fightingirishwire.com, part of the USA Today family of college wire sites. As always, I'm Nick Shepkowski, ready to talk some Fighting Irish football with you. Jeff Fair joins me whenever he can, and I appreciate his time always running ideas off of him, bouncing ideas off of him, and having him tell me when uh, he has to talk me down sometimes and tell me that, hey, your thought is really dumb at, at, at this and uh, maybe rethink this a different way. It should happen more than he probably uh, probably would like to or, or would admit. But anyway, I am, I am a pro Tommy Reese guy, Jeff. I have been for quite some time um, this year. I won't say only furthered that there were clearly hiccups along the way. There well, I were, think we're getting out of the way. We, I think we both are. We both are pro Tommy Reese. Yeah, I think so. Good, yeah. I, I think for the most part, but I think there's a large portion out there of Notre Dame fans that look and say, because of a shortcoming here or a shortcoming there, or without looking at the big picture part, that he gets a lot of the a lot of the knock, a lot of the a lot of dislike that's thrown his way that I don't think is necessarily deserved. And I know in our last episode we talked about Sam Hartman and the offense and what Hartman's addition means. I'm excited for what year two of Tommy Reese will be away from Brian Kelly. I'm excited about what he's able to do because I think you look back on this past year specifically and you're looking at an offensive line that I think Harry Heastan really left his stamp on it. You you saw that from really, even though they lost the Stanford game, that's when I think that you really started to see a switch and them control the line of scrimmage for the most part, be able to move the ball and do what they want up front for largely and the offense, I, Reese was playing with handcuffs on, and what he was able to get out of this offense for so much of the year, it doesn't, no, it doesn't eliminate some of the goofy plays that he had, whether it's the pass when he could have probably just walked backwards into the end zone at the end of the Gator Bowl and said throws the pick six, or I mean, getting a little goofy with getting a little too creative and fun against Stanford a few times. But I look at it as a whole, and the hand he was dealt, in what he was able to help produce with a backup quarterback, an inexperienced line for the most part playing together. One of the, you look at power five teams and the lack of talent they had, a lack of development at receiver going into the year and what they were able to turn out. Like I am stoked to see Tommy Reese as much as anyone with Sam Hartman. Yeah. I think the, the big word for me going into next year for Tommy Reese is stability. I think you're going to have, barring any health concerns, you're going to have a, stab- a stable veteran quarterback there. And, and I don't mean for any of this in like our last podcast too, I think I prefaced this, like I don't mean for this to be a knock on Drew Pine because Drew Pine did everything he was asked at Notre Dame and uh, everything up to his ability. And I thought he did a great job for what he what he brought to the table. But it's going to be a, um, you know, last year was the first year in a, a new program, not only one in which he coached in as his first time offensive coordinator, but one he played in. So he was so ingrained in what Brian Kelly had built at Notre Dame. You know, we, we could talk about the negatives of that in, in another time, but um, but he had played and coached in the system that he had set up. So last year, I think there was a lot of unknown, not only on the field, but off the field too. As good a relationship as he seems to have with Freeman, he's still a young coordinator. He's still getting used to how things are going to change with the new head coach. So this year, I mean, he's had, he has a year under his belt. He has got a guy coming in that he's got to be excited about. 
And I think there's a certain level of stability there this year that he's going to, is going to allow him to maybe coach in a way because we've seen the creativity from time to time with him. We've seen the ability for him to get a good sense of the game. There are times where you look at the screen and he, there was points where I feel like he's like that. He's like that younger brother where you're like rolling your eye, like you love him. And, but there are times when you just roll your eyes, like, what the heck are you thinking? What are you doing? Like, it just doesn't make any sense. But uh, I mean, there was points in the Ohio state game, even though we, there was there when we thought there was a chance that they could, they could win where there's some of the play calls were just, were very disjointed. Um, But this year, if they do have this stability at quarterback, which we all assume they're going to have right now, I think we're going to see Rees really solidify himself as one of the brightest offensive minds in college football. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's a mistake when you hear his name linked in the Rams thing and that part. Like, that wouldn't just – yes, getting jobs at the end of the day, coaching world's just like the rest of the world. Like, it's about connections and everything, but – you also have to be talented at what you do. It's not as simple as, okay, yep, just because I played college ball or worked on the same staff with one guy, I'm going to get this job necessarily. Like, I, I think that, like, I look at, I, I just can't help but look at what Reese has been dealt. And, okay, so this year, I don't want to give him just a, like an A-plus grade because I think that I know we spoke right after the Ohio State game and there were some things in there of just, why not try to screen a bit more? I get worked early on little tunnel screens. Like why not try to do that and get the ball down the field more with that? I know that was one of the takeaways from that game. The Stanford game, I remember getting a little, a little yeah. off with, with some of his decisions of just you're pounding the ball at will. Why are you getting so cute with these reverses and end arounds and having non-quarterbacks throw passes and in, in, in that part. Like, why why get cute? Why get fancy? Gator Bowl, obviously, the pick six, the second pick six was inexcusable. But well, I, do you I, think the rest of the Gator Bowl, it's like, yeah, you have that one play that was a complete and utter disaster. I think it was a perfect, perfect symbolism for what Tommy Reese was this year. You have that one play that was just an there's no defense for it whatsoever. He was funny on Twitter just saying, okay, I get it now, run the damn ball, blah, 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 blah. But the rest of the game, he was lights out for an offense that's missing their absolute biggest weapon, for playing with a quarterback that hasn't played in three, four months at that point, that has next to no experience at a collegiate level. I don't care that it's not a top-tier SEC team. You're still taking on an SEC team that when you go to a Gator Bowl, not to be like Mr. Notre Dame and is better than everything and whatnot, the Gator Bowl doesn't mean a damn thing when you're looking at Notre Dame. When you're looking at the history of this program and what it means for a program, getting up for the Gator Bowl isn't like this giant step that it does. Like beating Notre Dame for South Carolina would mean a heck of a lot more than winning a Gator Bowl would for Notre Dame. And when you go into that with all of those factors into place and you're able to put up the offensive numbers and move the ball pretty much at will outside of the first two drives of that game that Notre Dame was able to do, like, that deserves credit that deserves praise and he has the one brutal mistake in that and I think a lot of it went to well Reese should be fired he damn near cost the game because of this getting too cute yes he almost did but he was also so much of the reason that you were in that position in the first place and why you're able to hang over 40 points on South Carolina part of me at points is thought he's got PTSD from hearing Kelly yell at him for so many years and um but at the same time, 
I've also thought, and you brought it up earlier, uh, you know, is he being too cute or I don't want to say cute, maybe cute is not the right word, trying to be too creative because of those NFL overtures? Because you have to think in the back of his head as a, is he 33, 34? I know he's younger than me. He's he's younger than me, yeah. Uh, but as a as a young offensive coordinator, obviously everyone's desire is to go be in the NFL. Most people with any sort of NFL, with football aspirations, want to be in the NFL. There are very few people that are like, I'm good with college. I wonder if some of those those play calling tendencies or those moments of is he being too create trying to be too creative is to show something to the NFL that he is bright and because all things being equal with the offensive line the way that it is and with their running game the way that it is like you said they should be able to pound the ball against defense at, at will and but is that that's not really showing anyone anything that's trying to hire at the next level I would I would hope that and I already I already kind of know in the back of my head that's probably if it's if it's in his head it's probably like five percent of it. It's not the overarching reason that he's calling plays the way he's calling. I just think it may be. I don't know if it's boredom because he's so smart. He's probably so otherworldly as far as X's and O's relative to me and you that he's just like, eh, let's try this out. Let's see if it works. We got some. We got some dudes back there who can play. Well, why not? Let's go with it. I I can understand that. You get bored. You. I, I mean, whatever. But like I just think they're I think they're gonna be in a position this year. Have some fun here. Right, right. I just think they're gonna be in a position this year with a quarterback that can do most anything they're asking, a running game that can do most anything they can ask, that it's gonna be, hey, Tommy, just call a normal game. Like we're gonna put up some points if we just call a normal game. Yeah, I don't think you're gonna to have to get too creative. Like, I really don't, because just the ability having a quarterback that can push the ball down the field and it's it's weird speaking of it being Notre Dame because of all the history and all the quarterbacks that come to mind. It's been rare the last 25 years. Like it has been the exception to the rule. Hell, before that, even as good as Tony Rice was as a quarterback and a leader, like he wasn't a guy that was pushing the ball down the field. It was right. Hey, rocket run as fast as you can. And I'll throw it as far as I can. And we'll see what happens. It wasn't like, I mean, I loved Kevin McDougal, but Kevin McDougal wasn't exactly uh we all love like, Kevin McDougal for any reason, um, but it is it it hasn't been. That's what it, it, it's easy to look at and say like that's the difference between what's keeping Notre Dame from being elite. And mm-hmm. I think that like the two positions that I especially have looked at here in recent years are when I look at depth in the secondary, or really a receiver in secondary positions and a quarterback. They've had NFL talent year after year after year on the defensive line on the offensive lines. Okay, you might not have game-breaking running backs, but though that that room right now, like what Lance Taylor started to put in place and what McCullough has has grown upon here in terms of recruiting and putting talent there at the running back position, like I don't think they were ever hurting under Kelly running back-wise, but this is this is knocking on the door of the truly elite backfields in, in all of college football. And when I say that, I'm talking Georgia, I'm talking Alabama, I'm talking all of the elites of the elites. Like this is this is top notch. And I think that there's a lot of credit that deserves to be thrown their way because it wasn't just oh hey go recruit five stars and and take your chances on them. Like Logan Diggs wasn't this highly sought after recruit. He got a late offer from LSU and he was in their backyard the whole time. 
that was a guy that was kind of went out and was found. And hey, this is what he is. Like, I look at so much of this offense, and it's just, I think it's waiting to just erupt. Um, like it is. I'm talking in circles here because I'm getting excited thinking about it. <laughs> it's, it's so foreign, though, that when you're Notre Dame, I think we, the Notre Dame you and I have grown up on and watched for the last 25-ish years or whatever it's been, has been you have an ass-kicking offensive line. You probably have a tight end or two that's going to play on Sundays. You might have a receiver or two that cash a few NFL checks but don't really make an impact there. And you kind of have a quarterback that'll be – either calling plays on a college offense somewhere down the road or working as an accountant or something down the road, working as a business manager down the road, but not playing, sure as hell not playing in the NFL. And like right now, I think that you're seeing that this is outside of maybe that two or three year window, really a two year window under Charlie Weiss, where you had Samarja Stovall, Anthony Fasano, and Darius Walker wasn't running away from anybody, but he was a solid back, especially for that offense. <laughs> like outside of those two years, like this is, far and away the most exciting I've been for a Notre Dame offense in quite some time. Like even, even 2017, as good as that team was, when you look at it, what was it lacking? You have Brandon Wimbush and a very young Ian book at quarterback that would be completely held that team back. Mm-hmm. You, put, you put Deshaun Kaiser, a third year starter at that team, instead of an inexperienced book or Wimbush, you're talking, you're probably knocking on the door that that probably was, would have been Kelly's best chance to win a national title. Instead, you don't have Kaiser there. You, you're clearly lacking a quarterback, and you end up falling short. But I, exact- Josh Adams might have a Heisman. What's that? Josh Adams might have a Heisman because I felt like it, even though he got hurt at some point that year, they were stacking the box against him because they knew Notre Dame was going to do nothing downfield. Yeah. So I mean, that's that's an interesting. Let's let's pit, let's put that 2017 pin in it for another day to discuss that team because I think that's an interesting sliding doors right there but no i think you hit it right on the head i think there's i would be and i'm interested to hear your take on this and i'm not having adjusted anything based on years but i know the pace of the game now is faster than it used to be but you know that Notre Dame team with quinn put up like 36 points a game i mean i'm i'd almost be disappointed at this point if that's what they average this coming year i mean i hate to say 40 is is like my low watermark but i really believe that there's a there's a chance that they could hit that well, I think that what's weird about this, and I think the Hartman part plays into this, is that I think you know you're taking a significant step this year to take a step back a year from now. Because you're going to have these same questions quarterback-wise a year from now. Right. The experience of Buckner sticking around, a freshman in car fighting for playing time or the starter's job right from Jump Street, whether it's Menchie as a sophomore a year from now, you're going into a year, maybe he gets a little bit of experience this year, maybe he doesn't. But you're going in with some of those same questions. And I think it's almost one of those odd cases of this is better for this year, long term, not necessarily even long term, because I think you're fine at the quarterback position. But I think a year from now, you're going to be taking a step back because of, all right, well, all it's going to be done with his junior year. If he plays like he did this past season, gone. You're, there's no reason for him to stick around. Um, Blake Fisher, I think, is if he can get the conditioning down a little bit better, I think that you saw him kind of wear down as the season went on, um, but he could be the same case. So you're looking at potential significant losses a year from now. But, yeah, like like you look at this part of this offense and the way you win in college football now, 
yes, Georgia had a great defense. Yes, like you defense helps you win games, but if you don't have an elite offense in college football, you're not you're not winning any of these big time games. You're not beating an Ohio State. You're not winning on the road probably at Clemson. You're not playing in the college football playoff, or if you are, you're not. I mean, look what TCU did to Michigan. Like you need to be able to score points and score points in a hurry. And in a way, it would be foreign for what we're used to. But yeah, I would probably be disappointed if this team falls short of like 38 points per game this year. I think a lot of things, and I'll be interested to see, and I don't mean this is probably a a post-2022 conversation about how Hartman or Reese coaching Hartman informs him on how he's going to coach a a player like Carr going forward and whether he's going to learn anything from having a year with an experienced quarterback, whether it make him more hesitant with an inexperienced quarterback, but that's a conversation for another day altogether. But, you know, you know, Georgia had a team where from left, they thought they were taking a step back. They tried to get JT Daniels and JT Daniels ends up, ends up, he got hurt. I believe he can hurt and end, end up being the best thing for him because Stetson Bennett comes in and they won two national titles, Stetson Bennett. So I think as much as we want to plan the future and we want to look forward there's going to be so many unforeseen things, but as long as you're at the top of the recruiting rankings, that's really what matters. Even with, I mean, they can continue to get transfers, but in order to continue to get transfers, you need to be in the national conversation. And you're in the national conversation if you're continually filling that pipeline with four and five stars, which Marcus Freeman seems to be doing right here. So we're probably not going to know the answer to, you know, the big step back into for next year until we see what happens this season. But I'm hoping that it's not that big a step back. It's not a totally, we had this, we had this, we have all these guys leaving and we're going to have to take a step out of the national title picker. We we should be at the point where that's not happening. Well, and I think that like you look at what Freeman's done since he's gotten here, not as head coach, but even as a defensive coordinator, you saw the uptick in recruiting. I don't mm-hmm. think it was an accident that when his name started getting floated around to replace Clark Lee, that then Brian Kelly started talking about, oh, we got to really sell out to be a top five class to to get one or two of those top five classes. And I think that that's something that Freeman isn't just about, like, oh, we need one or two of those. You need it repeatedly. You need it year after year after year, being in the top five, top seven, stack those things, and then retain it because at Notre Dame, you're not going to be able to – you're never going to be able to do, like, what TCU did, what USC did, what LSU did to a degree – this year you're never going to be able to work in and and just completely overhaul a roster with 15 20 guys and Mm -hmm. say all right we're going to the portal and we're reworking this thing entirely like it's never going to fly at notre dame you're going to see it like it is this year where they took a significant step i think in terms of numbers but it's still nothing outlandish you happen to get a proven quarterback um veteran wide receiver to add to a list a veteran defensive lineman from ohio state to add to the list and a couple of special teamers and a kicker and a punter again but you're not going to see like those 15, 17 bodies come in. Like you see at some places like TCU goes from five and seven and Sonny Dykes, nothing against what he did as a coach, what he did offensively of, of working TCU to the max this year. But a large part of the reason that TCU grew the way they did is because they're playing with 60, 50% new guys on their roster. And you'll never see that at Notre Dame, but you are at that position where, you recruit at a high level, you develop that like you have, but also retain it 
keep it from transferring out because you're not going to be able to get, you're able to get some guys in. You're not able to get the number of guys in. There's a reason that you don't see, for the most part, Notre Dame, Northwestern, Stanford, Vanderbilt dominating the transfer portal. And I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. I think, you know, the whole recruiting thing is a conversation for another day too, but the, the, it used to be back in the day, you recruit, you know, multiple guys in the same position with no fear of losing them because it would, there wasn't the same flexibility that you had as a recruit. Now you have that. So now teams are going to have to be very careful about how they, how they do recruit right out of high school. Um, But I think there is a lot of inherent risk that we haven't seen yet with the, with um, the, or the transfer portal because there hasn't been a large enough sample size, but I do think those teams that have continuity in their programs are going to see more consistency or more sustainability and more consistency, you know, to your point about some of these teams that are coming one year because they, they actually, you know, they hit the lottery. Basically it's so hard to bring a number of guys from another college program and have them jive so quickly that uh, they're able to get to a, the playoff. I just think it's, you, it, there's more, you know, people are some people are upset about all the transfers. I think there's more importance now than ever on keeping, like you said, keeping guys, recruiting guys, and making sure your program is solid. And I, I think that's going to be an interesting, you know, five years out, we're probably going to have more information on it. But I think the way that Notre Dame is, is handling this and that just by filling the gaps at positions rather than going all out is the right way to do it. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, it just gets back to our point of, you had the really the one offensive transfer addition in Hartman this year. Mm-hmm. And well, with that, you go from being what is probably you're thinking, okay, this will be maybe. Well, and I called, I'd call Caleb Smith a yeah, relatively, yeah. even though, even though if all things break right, he probably shouldn't have as big of impact as, as we expect him to. But like Hartman's the one notable difference maker, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, look at that. And now you're talking, this could be a, 40 point a game offense. Yeah. After what you saw this past season, where it's like, okay, things can change and they can change in a hurry. And so, it doesn't have to be 10 guys. It can be one or two that, that make that world of difference. So I guess bringing it back to the Reese thing, like what in your mind is going to let you know that Reese is taking the next step as an offense coordinator this year? Is there something you're looking for? Well, I mean, where is, is it less eye rolls per game? Is it less? Um, Cause I, if you, if you believe that less, uh, comments on Twitter uh, about Rees will be the oh, right barometer. That's the that's the wrong thing to measure anything. But uh, things that bother me are at times you saw it where like you watch it watch a game simply on TV and you're like, man, defense is really starting to stack a box. There's eight guys in a box. There's nine guys in a box. Just throw a ball into a flat to somebody and let. Lorenzo Styles or Chris Tyree or someone just show off their wheels because they beat one guy, they're going 60 yards here. And instead, it's pound the ball up the middle. And mm-hmm. I know we'd be the same people that probably get upset of, you have Estime in the backfield, let him just do his Jerome Bettis Jr. thing and plow somebody over for three yards and get a first down. But I less of those, less of the – when something looks obvious or something is clearly working – and you go away from it. Like, just less of that. And I guess I should have just kept track of it and kept notes all year long and kept a running Excel spreadsheet of it all to, to be able to quantify it. That's but, goals, for tw- goals for 2023. Yeah, right? Like, but I, it's one of those things of like, 
I'll know it when I see it. I can't necessarily tell you what it is, <laughs> but that's the best description that I can give you of like, sometimes the obvious answer is the best answer and it's okay to go that way. All right. Throw a ball, a high percentage pass into a flat. Like how many times I think that that was one of the things this year that I looked at, I'm like, just check this damn thing to a throw into the flat and you are one-on-one for a huge play and set it's out. There goes a pounded into a line and okay, you got your three yards and a first down, but that could have been your big hitter. That could have been your game changing type of play. Um, Some of those kind of, kind of things are what I really look for. But like I said, like Tommy Reese to me, yeah, when you put in an average Notre Dame fan on Twitter of what their thoughts are of him, I think the bar is pretty low. Like my, my bar is for what Reese is, like he's starting at a really high point. So I don't yeah, it's not like these massive major tweaks that I need to see. It's just sometimes no. just taking the obvious answer and taking the obvious thing that's there that I think sometimes he doesn't do. No, I I think I think another year of Kelly being gone and micromanaging the offense because let's we don't know we weren't in there but you have to sense there was there was at least some of that going on and I wonder if that was some of the trepidation he had not only his love for Notre Dame but some of the trepidation he had in not leaving for LSU was because it was going to be more more of that Uh, I think the autonomy that Freeman probably gives him on offense is is like phenomenal to his um to him being able to do his job but you know, and, and things are fluid, too, because you think back to the complaints we had about not getting Tyree the ball against Ohio State. Well, that was a time when they didn't have Logan Diggs, and Logan Diggs wasn't healthy in that game. And, you know, Estime was still a, a wet behind the ear. He just wasn't – he wasn't experienced. So I, I think this year you're coming at it from a completely different standpoint. And, um, yeah, I, I think a lot of those moments, like you said, I'll be looking for a lot of those moments that you're talking about where you're just like, come on, man. It's, that was a simple solution to the to the problem. But I do think there is going to be less of that just by nature of having stability at the quarterback position. Yeah, I think that that's like – it's the one thing that Reese hasn't had. Well, I shouldn't say the one thing. Um, like depth at receiver assures health one thing that he hasn't had. But you've seen him with good lines. I think that you're going to have a combination of like best quarterback Reese has worked with, best offensive line Reese has worked with, but clearly the best backfield Reese has worked with. Well, this is his, his fourth year as coordinator and fourth different quarterback. Yeah. And I think easily the most talented and clearly the most known going right. It's, I can't help but get excited about this offense. Like I can probably spend as much time doing a podcast and just talking about the issues or worries I have with the defense next year. But yeah, that's going to be a thing. Like I hate to say it, but. I'm like growing up in a world where I was always defense wins championships, defense wins championships. And I still think that you have to have one. I think Georgia clearly speaks to that of I can take a TCU offense that hangs 50 seemingly week in and week out and hold them to seven in a championship game. Like I think the defense had something to say about that, but if you can't score in those forties with some semi-regularity, like you're not going to be winning anything of, of a major importance in college football these days. And I think that Notre Dame is very much headed in the right direction. And I think that Reese is very much the right guy that to head it in that direction as well. Good. We, we have an agreement there. I know. But, uh, now That's I'm hard. thinking, now I'm thinking negatively about the defense. I'm like all those, all those times in the last couple of years, we've talked about the the lack of depth at corner. Then we have a freshman all American and Benjamin Morrison. And now I'm like, Oh, I'm like, so I'm t- like I'm telling my therapist, Oh, we've got a whole nother set of issues now. Like it's, right. it's, there's a whole, that front seven is, 
Um, I mean, there were the whole entire defense. That's that's a conversation for another day. Let's let's spend some time with the joy that is the Notre Dame offense or what we think it's going to be. Yeah, I feel like uh, I feel like in a way it's like USC going into going into next year where you know you're going to score points. Not so sure how you're going to stop. I I I have every bit of confidence that we're going to be better defensive. That they're going to be de- better defensively than Notre, than uh, USC. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, I have worries, but I want to end it on a high note. So, yeah, go back to the offense and the dreams of 38, 40 points a game with regularity. I think we there you go. that, and I don't think it's an unrealistic expectation. It's just it's the tempo. It'll be different to see Notre Dame play with, with that kind of tempo that I think is going to – that's also required in order to kind of put up those kind of numbers because it just yeah. hasn't for quite some time. But anyway, he's Jeff Fair. I'm Nick Shepkowski. It's the Fighting Irish Wired podcast. As fun, that was fun as always. We'll be doing this all off season and and trying to knock out a few of these at a time. Thanks always for listening, for checking out Fighting Irish Wire, and uh, until next time, go Irish.